Advent season every year for me is that in many ways, it's all too familiar. Um, we celebrate it every year. Uh, all of us or many of us have our own traditions within our own family, the things that you do around this Christmas season. Um, and although they're specific to our families, all of, them, all of us have certain things that we do, right? We repeat them every year, and there's a little bit of variation between what you do, but every year it's almost the same. Same old, same thing. Been there, done that. And so what can definitely happen this season is that maybe more so than others, it becomes so normal and so routine and so ordinary. You have the dates. On this day, you put the decorations up. On this day, you do this. And on this day, you go out, get your gifts. On this day, you open them up. And at this time, you do this. Even Christmas morning, maybe whatever it is that you do, you do the same thing, and then you go to church. Maybe if you go to church on Sunday, on, on the Christmas day, and then so on and so forth. It's all so ordinary. And for some of us, what we love about this season, maybe it is the fact that it's so familiar. It's the season when you get to listen to your Christmas music. Again, bust out your decorations. Get into the Christmas spirit, the Christmas mode that we all love. And I thought about it. Maybe the reason we love gift giving so much is because that may be the one part of the season that's actually like unknown or unfamiliar. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to open up. And so that unknown, that surprise excites us. And so we get really behind this gift giving thing. And so the challenge that I and Pastor Goose and every pastor or every church in the world faces, I think, this time of year around is how do we help all of us not forget what this season is all about, which is so easy to do, right? And how do we then reawaken or reimagine the glory of Jesus' birth? Or even better, find ever new depths of just how grand, glorious, immense, and just mind-boggling this thing is. Which is why this season we've chosen to dig deeper into the purpose of why God does what he does why he sends his son into the world. That in the beginning, as John says, that God had a purpose and a mission behind the singular event that argue is, has changed and is changing the world unlike anything else before. Which is why this familiarity thing is so odd, because this is the thing, this is the event, this is the moment that changes the world unlike anything else, and yet to us, it's just the same old same old. And so, so far, if you've been with us or been watching on YouTube or whatever, um, we discovered a couple things. First, we discovered that Jesus is the Logos, which is to say that he's God's word, he's God's self-revelation, and God's self-best expression, his one and only begotten, which means that he is God himself. We've discovered, secondly, that this Logos is, it was, is the already and always was God, which is to say that there was never a time when God was not or that this God already and always was in the beginning, before the beginning, or before the beginning was even beginning. Like, there was never a non-beginning for this Logos God. And then third thing that we've discovered so far is this God, though uh, this God through his Logos, through his self-expression, took on flesh, became one of us, and moved into our neighborhoods, which is the unthinkable of all unthinkables, if you really are honest. And though we maybe didn't think that this couldn't get even more crazy or mind-boggling, we've seen that then through this Logos, who takes on the flesh and is dwelling with us, we discover, right, that he did it so that we could behold his glory. Which again, on the surface, maybe doesn't sound all that great, but if you think about what his glory means and the fact that everyone back in the day knew that uh, seeing his glory meant that you were going to go puff into a poke of smoke, a poke of smoke, a puff of smoke, 
the impossible of all impossibilities now possible. And then secondly, we discovered that Jesus has come home. He's trying to come home. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Impossibly, the owner and the maker of everything is standing at the door, knocking until we receive him, until we make him feel at home. And not just so that he can feel himself at home, which would be great enough, but that he can make us his begotten sons and daughters so that we would also feel at home. The impossible, again, made altogether possible. And so today, in the third Sunday of Advent, we did hope to discover that God's mission as you'll see on the screen, was to send the light into the darkness, to light up the dark and to give it life unlike any other. In short, Jesus came to light it up, to light up the world. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to John chapter 1, and we'll read verses 4 through 9, a very quick uh, thing. And if you don't uh, have it, then it'll be on the screen, or as my friend Don calls it, the Sky Bible. Um, It'll be on the screen, and we'll read it together. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And we are reading in the NASB version for anyone who has a different version. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I think today, maybe more than ever, uh, or at least more than the previous two weeks uh, thereafter all, is, might be the week where we feel like this story or the thing that we're going to talk about is the most familiar. Like, been there, done that, I've heard that before, what else is new type of an idea. Because all of us, I think, if you've been in church for any bit of time, if you've been around here uh, at RK, all of you have heard that Jesus is the light of the world. Hearing that Jesus is a light isn't anything new. It's not anything altogether all that grand. It's very, very familiar to us. Again, tell me something I don't already know, Pastor Pete. Which is why in John 8, 12, and most of you probably know this verse, it's very simple. It says, I am the light of the world, Jesus says, right? He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life, So if you put all this together, right, and if we're trying to discover new depths of who Jesus is, this kind of doesn't fit and if you take into also the count that Jesus refer, or John refers to Jesus as the light six times in that little passage that I read in this introduction, the first 18 verses, but here, even more particularly, like these five verses, it kind of makes you wonder because Jesus as light is a thing that I think everybody understands. And if you remember uh, from two weeks ago, John, when he wrote this prologue and calling Jesus a logos and using all these different words that he uses, John is taking very meticulous and care about every word he chooses because his hope and his purpose and his mission, it seems to me, is that he wants to remind everyone that Jesus becoming flesh is not anything that you can just kind of bypass. It's supposed to shock the system. Because no one in the history of the world would have ever thought about, would have ever imagined, would have ever dreamed that God or the Logos, the captain of the universe, would become like man or like a human being, like one of us. And so then I wondered, why use this such familiar metaphor? Why use this understanding that Jesus is the light if you want us to understand this is a ridiculous and extraordinary event? And so what it means to me then is that we have to discover, or newly discover maybe, what it means to us that Jesus is the light. 
that there's something a lot greater than what we might understand about saying that Jesus is the light of the world, which I think we throw around all the time. What does it mean that he's the light of the world? Why is that important? Why is that significant to us? So I think that's what we're going to try to look at today. For those of you who love Christmas carols, have you ever noticed that a lot of the Christmas carols all sing about light? For instance, First Noel says, They looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far, and to the earth it gave great light. And so it continued both day and night. Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel. O little town of Bethlehem, another one. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the, star, the silent stars go by. I feel like I have to sing it, um, but I'm not, I won't do it to you. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Or silent night, silent night, holy night. Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Now, Clearly, it seems the writers of Christmas hymns way long ago were onto something. They understood that light of Jesus or that he is the light meant something. But what could it mean? Because I'm a person in here that always thinks we love as Christians to throw around stuff all the time. We love to say Jesus is gracious. We love to say he's loving. We love to say all these things. But I feel like half the time we don't know what that means. Like we don't actually understand like, the depth of what it means. And so we want to try to get, to get at the bottom of what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? And why is that significant for us? Why does that do something? Why is it changing something? So let's dig deeper. And first, let's define some terms. Let's start with verse one, uh, chapter four, uh, 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the, light, and the life was the light of humankind. In him was life. You see it highlighted on the screen. And this word life is a word that many of you might be familiar with. It's the Greek word zoe. If you ever meet a pastor's family, right, whose daughter's name is Zoe, this is where they got it from, the Greek word zoe. Actually, I was about to name my daughter Zoe until I met a pastor friend whose daughter's name was Zoe, and so then we changed it to Kara, which is Greek for joy. So it's just kind of a thing that we do, it seems. But the reason why this is important and the reason why I highlight it is because all Greeks, right, back in the day knew that there are two words that you translated as life regularly, and that's zoe and bios, right? And the difference between the two is really critical, right? And here's the difference. Bios is what we call created life. Biology is where it comes from. A life that has a beginning and a life that has an ending. And this life can be a good life. Definitively can be a very good life, but no matter how good this bios, biological life can be, it is still, at the end of the day, finite, which means that any biological bios life is decaying at all times and eventually will die. Period. You won't discover anything that has a bios life that is not decaying currently, which is very sad. That's why we always say, like, you know, you, have, you hit your prime, and I am definitely over my prime. Like, I am decaying as we speak. Kind of an idea, right? My biological bios life which is to say that no bios life, no matter how good, lasts forever, right? But then there's the zoe life, and the Greeks understood that the zoe life meant uncreated life, a life without a beginning and a life without an ending, a life that does not decay and a life that does not die because it cannot decay and it cannot die, which means the zoe life is a life that only the infinite God has, and more importantly, is the life that the infinite God has is, or this might help you in terms of understanding the difference between bios and zoe. The logos creates bios, but what is in the logos is zoe. 
God creates bios, life, but what is in him, God, is the zoe life. My professor put it like this, and I, I can't think of anything better. And he said, let's say someone asks you, hey, when did life begin? And you, as a proper uh, Christian believing or theologian, as I would say, you will respond like this, well, it depends. What life are you referring to? I know it sounds weird, but this is the way you're supposed to answer. And you would respond like this, well, bios life began when God spoke it into being in the beginning. But Zoe life has always been before the beginning, before there was even a beginning in God and in the Logos. Do you see the difference? Might seem subtle in terms of the fact that there's two different words, but the meaning is altogether different. So then John, right, chapter four, John, four, uh, John 1 verse 14, right? The Logos took on bios life, flesh, so that he can give us the Zoe life. And all this is possible because Jesus himself is the Zoe life. He has the Zoe life, and he's going to give us the Zoe life. It's why in 1 John 5, 11, 12, he says, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, Zoe Aeonion, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has, who has the Son has the life, Zoe, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have the Zoe. It's why in John 11, Jesus claims, I am the resurrection and the life, Zoe. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Like that sentence sounds ridiculously crazy unless you realize that he's using two different terms. I am the resurrection and the Zoe. He who believes in me, even if he dies, even if his bios life dies, which all of our bios life will die, will still live. Why? Because we have the Zoe, and if you have the Zoe, that life will never die. This, at this point, you should be jumping up and down because you have a promise and a salvation that no one else understands unless you have Jesus. This is why we say, death, where is your sting? Because that death is only the death of the bios life, and the zoe life is forever, aeonion, eternal. Like, are you processing? Those who live in Jesus, in him, in the logos, who is the zoe, eternal life, has the zoe because we received him. We talked about that last week. That when we receive Jesus into our lives, when we welcome him home, that everything changes. And the part that changes means that even if you and I go into the grave, we will live because we have the Zoe life. That's a game changer if you've ever heard of one. But anyone who only has the bios life, you will die. Because a bios life, by definition, has an ending and a termination date. Those who received Jesus, we learned last week, and we're learning today, have a life that does not and cannot decay, which is why John says in 3.16, the most famous, famous Bible verse in all of creation, it seems, that those who believe in Jesus, the Logos, will not perish, but have what? Zoe, eternal. Now, this sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? We know it like the back of our hands, but I don't think we quite get it. A life eternal, 
a life that does not decay, a life that does not die, a life that knows no end, a life in which my knee cannot blow out because I jumped on it wrong, a life which means that my back can't go out because something is wrong with it, a life in which my bones don't brittle, my teeth don't rot or whatever. None of that stuff exists in the Zoe life. It is eternal. It is never decaying. It is always and forever flourishing. That ought to blow our minds in such a way where you're just like, wait, I don't, wait, what? But there's more. Verse four, in him was a Zoe, and the Zoe was the light of humankind, or men, depending on what translation you read. The Zoe, he says, is also the light. And this Zoe, who is in Jesus, and Zoe is Jesus, oozes light like the sun. I mean, like, how could it not? If you have this life that doesn't decay, if you have this life that doesn't end, if you have this life that's overflowing and flourishing of all the time, then it has to ooze out. It has to radiate this light. And the Zoe, indeed, does it radiate incredible light. And if you're following the pattern so far of this Advent season, then if you behold his glory, if you see who he is and understand his essence and you receive him home because he's so utterly receivable and so utterly likable and so utterly lovable and so utterly good in every way, then you will be full of the Zoe life and you'll be full of the light that is in the Zoe life. And when you're full of light, you know what happens? You glow. That's why Moses' face was aglow when he saw the glory of God, just the backside. Now you might be like, what does that mean, right? Well, let me tell you what it means. We talk about beauty in here a lot, don't we? Particularly for the ladies, but everyone. I tell you that y'all are so beautiful, but you let people tell you that you're not. Now when I say that, the reason is, is because in you is a beauty that's unlike any other all the time, but here and there, And I would say now, a lot more often than ever before, there are times when I'll walk in here and I'll walk through these halls and I'll walk in this place and I'll watch you and there's some of you who are literally glowing. And if you don't think it's true, you don't get to hear the comments that the parents make, but oftentimes I'll hear parents and be like, oh, sorry for the Korean if you don't understand Korean. They'll be like, what's wrong wrong with her? Like, why is she so beautiful today? She's so like, like, there's something, they do this with their hands. And it's this idea that you are glowing. It has nothing to do with what you're wearing. It has nothing to do with what time of the day it is. It has nothing to do with what side of your face you're looking at. It has nothing to do with how much makeup you have on, how, how, how your hair looks, what it is. You simply just glow. There is an inner beauty that radiates out of you. And all those things, and all the things that people say, it's because the Zoe that is the light is radiating out of you. I see it all the time. And you can't ever get it no matter how much you work on it. Only if the life, the Zoe life is in you and the light is in you, then it radiates out of you. And in the opposite, there are many times you walk in here and I'll look at you, no matter how beautiful physically your your features might be, you're just dark. There's a cloud, a shadow, as it seems, hanging over you and you're just so dark. And again, Korean, oduo, like you're just, just gloomy. You lack the light. And no amount of makeup or glamour or glare will ever cover it. No amount of makeup, glamour or glare will ever hide the light that's within you. 
Remember I said earlier the famous verse that we all know. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have what? The light of life. In us, when we receive Jesus, is the light of the Zoe life that does not decay, cannot decay, is eternal and ever flourishing. And to that we say, yes, Lord, please, would you help us to receive you and therefore the life you give so that in and out of me will ooze the same light that you are made of. Amen? That's what Advent means. But there's more. Verse 9. The true light which was coming into the world enlightens every light. The true light, this word true means genuine, authentic, the real deal. The real deal, holy field light was coming into the world. And this idea is important because this word for world in Greek is the word cosmos. And you might have heard it before in here, but this word is literally understanding. The Greeks understood that when you referred to the world as cosmos and not as the earth or the land, you're referring to a life and a people who organize themselves as if they don't need God in some way, shape, or form. The cosmos world is a people who think God is worthless, not necessary, and says, you know what? I don't need that fool. I can be good without him, which then means... That if the true light is coming into the cosmos to enlighten every man, it means the true light is coming into the world in a world that does not even want him for one hot second. And we saw this last week, didn't we? He came to his own, and yet his own did not receive him. And if you live at all, you understand how true this is, don't you? how the world organizes and functions as if God doesn't exist or isn't important or is unnecessary. And a life without God has to die and has to decay. And a life that does not want the light and therefore even rejects the light that will only be dark and decaying and dying all the time. And yet, John tells us, and we know it's true, the light came into the world in order to light it up and to increasingly light up that which is decaying and increasingly give life to that which is increasingly dying and increasingly utterly repel the darkness that is increasingly fading into the dark. For God in this manner, John 3.16 says, loves the cosmos, a light that thinks God is unnecessary, that he gave his one and only begotten son, that which is himself, so that whoever believes in this begotten light and life, God the Logos, shall never ever perish, which is what happens when you reject the light and the life, and indeed have everlasting life. Glory be to God. That's what this season means. How in the world has it become familiar and normal? But there's more. Yes, more. And this is maybe where we put it kind of all together. Verse 9, the true light, which is coming into the world, enlightens every man. And this is when me being a nerd all the time and telling you about verb tenses and Greek stuff is actually important. Notice the verb tense of this word, to come, right? It's not the world or it's not the Lord of the light has come. It is coming to the world. It is what we call the present middle participle form of the verb to come, which means it has a continuous and altogether self-action, which is a very nerdy way of saying this. 
It means that the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' arrival, isn't something just happened that two, something that just happened two thousand years ago, never to happen again. That would be to say that it is a completed, right, past action. The light has come into the world. But to say that it is indeed the present middle participle of this word means that it is not a one-time thing, but it is a continuous thing that happened one time, is happening now, will happen forevermore until there is never an end which means that the true light is coming into the world forever, then, now, and forevermore. And this is utterly huge, and we cannot miss this, because it means that Jesus' arrival, the coming of his birth, him becoming a little baby in a, in a manger and in Bethlehem, changes the world in every way, past, present, and future. Again, glory be to God. It means that Jesus' coming means that it means your past has all changed. That all those people who actually received Jesus way back in the day, 2,000 years ago, who saw Jesus in the literal flesh, of course, it changed their lives. It means that our future is changed. That's why we have Zoe Aonio, an eternal life that will never fade, never decay. It means we have salvation, we have heaven, we have a life of eternal glory, joy, and all those things, which is also very important. But maybe most importantly to us, and the part that we forget, is that our present, now, this day, and the life that we live right now has changed, is changing, and must change continually because we have the eternal Zoe. For those of you who call yourself a Christian, who understand that Jesus is Lord, that he's died for you, that he's come into this world, and he was born as God himself, fully man, fully human, it means that in you right now, when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you think of who you are, when you write your name on a piece of paper, when you say your name out loud, when you introduce yourself to someone, when you give someone a hug or a handshake or a high five, that means in you right now, you are full of the no beginning, no ending, radiating, overflowing life that only God and his begotten have had since the before there was even in the beginning. And you have that in you right now. And somehow we think we're not worth anything or we're not beautiful or we're not anything to be made fun of or I mean anything to be made serious of. And that I do not understand how it can be because you have this Zoe eternal in you now that is of the only begotten God himself as you become his only begotten sons and daughters. Glory be to God. Like are we wrapping our minds around this just a little bit? In this moment, let's be honest, just for a second. Let's have a TBH moment real quick. Because I don't think I'm over-exaggerating. I don't think I'm doing anything, you know, overly wrong when I say that most of us Christians, that we live with this mindset, that yes, of course, our past sins and our past history, those things that are in the past were greatly impacted by Jesus' arrival, his life, his death, and his resurrection and ascension, yes, that because Jesus came to live, uh, came to earth, lived, died, and resurrected, and ascended, our future, or I mean our past, has all been erased. It's all been done. Our sins have been blemished, or we're blemish-free, all those wonderful things. But also, we believe that maybe the most important thing about all this is that our future, our eternal future, when we die, when we pass from this place, whatever word is you want to use, that that's also secure, that you'll have glory, you'll have truth, you'll have life forever and ever and ever, and that's all changed, and that's amazing too, and you're like, woohoo, thanks God, because I know that I'm my life forever secure. So we believe, we live in this place where the past is good and the future is good, but there's this little awkward space in between 
where all of us struggle to make sense of what all this means for us and how it impacts us here and then now. Like we kind of go about it thinking that it impacts us, but if we're really just being honest, it doesn't actually impact our daily lives. If we really are honest, if I looked, if I had a, if I had a video camera or, a, you know, what are those, like, you know, things, like if you vlog and you vlog every single second of this entire month of December and the Advent season, there's not much about it that would signal that you and I think that there's something going on as we get, tro- as we get closer and closer to this thing that we call Christmas, December 25th. It's just the past and it's just the future. It's why in here, if you've been with us for a little while, you'll hear that all of this, this worship, the studying of the word, serving, community, all of this isn't just a forgiveness of my sins and an eternal life thing. We always say in here that what we are after each and every single time we gather every single moment of our lives is the life that God himself has designed and wants to give and is giving for us to live which is our way of saying that in here, what we're after is a relationship with Jesus because a life with him is a life and a best life, a life unlike any other, one of following, loving, knowing Jesus and his people. But that's the difficult part, isn't it? I had a person one time come up to me and say, Pastor, I got a question for you. If Jesus and what he did forgives of my sins and he can forgive me at any moment, then what doesn't make me live this life however I want to until the moment before I die and then proclaim that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and then go to heaven? Isn't that the best strategy? You're all about strategy. You're all about efficiency. You're all about getting the best out of life. Isn't that the best way? And let's be honest. Is this maybe the way we think? But this Advent season, I hope that we're learning and that we're proclaiming so boldly that his arrival, Jesus' arrival, must change everything. Not some things, not lots of things, not most things, but everything about our lives. Yes, forever. Yes, in the past, but ever more so right now. And maybe you're like me, because I always wish that I was alive when John was alive, when John the writer, when John the Baptist was alive, because I would have seen the light of life for my own eyes with my, you know, face to face. And the truth is right now, we can't. You and I can't. Unfortunately, we're not able to. We will one day, but right now we can't. And that's just the truth. And there's nothing about that that we can change. And so we lament maybe and going like, I want to see Jesus like everyone else did back in the day. Why can't I see him? If I could just see him, maybe I would see that things are different. And because I can't see him, you know what? I'm not going to believe and I'm not going to do these things and whatever, whatever. But when John says that the light is continuing to come forever and ever, what it means is that through Jesus, we can see everything in light of the light, which is to say everything the light touches gives us perspective in his light. Let me ask you a question. How do you know that the sun is shining right now? Anyone? How do you know the sun is shining right now? Hmm? Look out a window. What does that mean? You can see it. You can't see the sun. You go blind. And you're not even seeing the sun. You're only seeing the light radiating off the sun. So how do you know? Because we all know. And the reason we know the light sun is shining is because we can see things that the sun and the light lights up, no? 
Without the sun, everything would be dark. You would not be able to see a thing. Without the light, all things would be dark. See, because the light has come and is continuing to come, we now know exactly what our life is supposed to be. We see it in Jesus. He makes everything different than before because he gives light to everything that we didn't know. He gives light to all the things that were dark. He gives light and shows us what we're meant to be by grace, how we're meant to live, how we can indeed live in the world that is trying to organize itself as if God doesn't exist. And we went through this in the Beatitudes, if you were here. Jesus tells us how to live righteously, how to live right-relatedly. Jesus shows us how to live a life and to deal with pain, hurt, lust, anger, and revenge. He shows us how to love and how to pray and how to trust. He shows us what it means to live a Zoe life, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of love, trust, gentleness, patience, kindness, and the rest. And the reason we know is because he did it, and he tells us that we can too. It has to change. Now at this point, I guarantee there's some of you in the, in the audience here that will ask and want to ask this tough question if you had the gumption. But pastor, sounds good. But if the light has come, then why is this world so freaking dark? Why is there so much violence? Why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much hurt, so much pain, so much addiction, so much brokenness, so much confusion, so much division, death and destruction? Good question. And I think we know the answer, don't we? Especially if you were here last week. It's because we, the world, those who are his own, did not receive him. And you might say, well, I mean, that doesn't actually help because it means that it's never going to get any better. But there's more. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I don't know why they translate this word this way, because I think it's probably the worst word they could have chosen, in my opinion. But the, the, word, the word comprehend is the Greek word katalambano. It's a, it's, a, it's a compound word, and it literally means this, to seize, to overtake, and to pounce upon. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not seize and did not overtake it and did not pounce on it. It's not because it hasn't tried. Oh, no, of course it's tried, and we see this all the time. We see this even when Jesus was born. You know the story, right? As soon as Jesus is born, King Herod, you know what he tries to do? He tries to go and snuff out this little baby like the baby did anything. And Jesus has to flee to Egypt for two years, right? And then he comes back safe and sound. But all of you know this, don't you? It doesn't work. The light cannot be overtaken because the darkness cannot overtake the light. We've done this in here many times. If you walk into a dark room and you want light, what do you do? Just turn the light on and the darkness, whoop, bye. Darkness never wins versus the light. No matter how hard it tries, it's just not a thing. It doesn't work that way. It's not the way it's designed. And then somebody will say, well, no, 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 pastor, you're wrong because the cross that's when dark, darkness won. And of course, we know the answer. The world thought, everyone thought, the Jewish leaders thought that the light had been defeated, had been snuffed out finally once and for all, but we know that it had not. Because even though the light went into the ground and into the grave, three days later, the light emerged out of the dark. He removes the stones and walks out of the dark and into the light, which means that if you are stuck in the dark, 
All you need to do is to receive the light. My professor one time told this joke, and I think it's so appropriate. He said, it does you no good if you're sitting in the dark to yell curses and, and say, F you, darkness. All you have to do is to light up a candle and the darkness vanishes. You can curse at the darkness all day, but all you must do is to light a candle. And church, let me tell you, the candle, we lit it today. The candle has been lit. Jesus has come to light it up. No darkness, no physical darkness, no emotional darkness, no spiritual darkness, no political darkness, no darkness of any kind can ever overcome and seize the light. The light is the Zoe, that which cannot be defeated, has no end, is no decaying. What could possibly overcome the light? This is what we're celebrating. Joy to the world. The king has come. The light stands in the darkness. I know we don't do this in here a lot, but can you do this just for me? For those of you who believe this with all of your heart or want to believe this, can you declare this out loud? I'll put it on the screen and you can just read it verbatim. But can we declare out loud as a church, as a people, in him is life and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Are you ready? Now let me tell you one thing. I hope all of you declare this with every ounce of your being. Even if you don't believe it, I hope you declare it. But can you, if you believe it and if you really stand behind it, can you declare it with everything that you have? Because this is not something you can say sheepishly. It's not something that you should say sheepishly. It is something that we should declare with every ounce of everything that we have because this changes everything. The darkness is trying to overtake everything we do and the light has come and the light cannot be overtaken. The darkness does not overcome the light. So you ready? On three, we, KCPC, will declare to the world that the light has come and the darkness has not overcome. You ready? On three. One, two, three. In him is life, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. One more time. In him is life, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, as I invite the praise team up, I have one little last thing to share. And praise team, come up and play some uh, ambient music so I don't sound awkward at the end. But did you know that December 25th isn't actually Jesus' birthday? Not even close. It might not even be in the same month. Do you know why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Anyone? In the first century, the Roman Empire's celebrated the feast day for the sun god, S-U-N, sun god, on December 25th. The tradition was that right after what's called the winter solstice, they had a day called the Sol Invictus, which stands for the unconquerable sun, S-U-N. And so in about the fourth century or so, the church then realized, wait, 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 wait. I'm sick of having to sit here on a day and celebrate a day where they tell us that there's an unconquerable, inconquerable S-U-N sun because we have the true and everlasting, inconquerable Zoe S-O-N sun. 
what better way to evangelize the world and tell everyone that Jesus is unlike anything else we've ever seen than to celebrate and to literally hijack the day they celebrate the sun god, the S-U-N sun god, by celebrating the birth of the sun, the S-O-N, the world that has never known that indeed him has life. So we then move Christmas to December 25th to tell the world that we have the true and unconquerable eternal sun, S-O-N. Because in him was light, and the light is coming into the world, and the darkness tried to overtake it, but the darkness cannot overtake it. Amen. Glory be to God. So church, brothers and sisters, in this Advent season, whatever you got going on, I pray and I hope that with every ounce of our being, that we would believe That when he came into the world, whatever darkness you face, whatever demons are chasing after you, it cannot be overcome. Because in him and in us, we have the zoe and the life. And as you finish and as you reflect, I want you to do this. And I think it's very important. Every single one of us in here has darknesses, has demons. For me, for a long time, it was my relationship with my parents, a sense of failure, a sense of being unloved. That My dad didn't care, my mom didn't care, she ran away, all this stuff, and I had to deal with that. That was my darkness for a while. Some of you have issues with people who think that you're not good enough. Some of you have issues with people who think, or you think, you're not good enough, you're not tall enough, you're not smart enough, you're not whatever enough. Some of you have issues in here where you don't want to disappoint people. And if somebody doesn't like you, then that drives you insane and you can't handle it. So you do everything in your power to make them happy or to make sure that they don't unlike you or dislike you. Some of you work to you, you just work yourself into the ground because you want to prove to people that you can stand on your own. And all these things are the darknesses that chase after you, the uncertainties of things. And in this moment, in this Advent season, I want us to declare, we declared it just now. Remember, we did it. I don't know who didn't do it, but it seemed like most of us in here did it. We declared that our darkness cannot be overcome, but we must receive him home, make room in our lives for him, arrange everything else. And my wife said it last week, and I think she was brilliant. She said, I know I've received Jesus home, but I'm wondering what rooms he's not allowed into, what spaces he's not allowed into that are still dark that I won't let him come into. And so today in this moment, as we reflect before we sing, can all of us, only you know and only God knows our darknesses, our hidden corners, our things that drive us insane that we cannot overcome. And can we declare with every ounce of our being, even if it doesn't seem true, that in the light has come. In him is life. In him is Zoe. And he is the light. And when we have him, we have the light of life. In this Advent season, we almost foolishly it may seem, want to declare with everything that we have that our lives and everything about it is different because we have the light of life. Don't waste a moment without taking all that you are and all that you have to him and allowing him to light it up, to live into the freedom that he's given. In him was life and light. The light is coming into the world and the darkness does not overtake it. So take some time and reflect and then John and the team will lead us in time of response.